Hey, everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Modern League podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Lajos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson. How's everybody doing this week? All right. I'm doing well. How are you? Very Good. glad we've had, we have fall weather now. Yeah. Best time of the year. It's a bit chilly. I'm contemplating going camping in like three weeks or so, so I don't know if I want to do that. Well, I mean, it's fall in the Northeast, so I'm sure it'll be like, 80 degrees again next week, and <laughs> yeah, then the true. next week it'll be 40 degrees, and the week after that it'll be 90. Um, and then it'll snow yeah. the week after. Yep, yep. Mostly, it'll just we'll just get a big heat wave the second my building decides to turn off the air conditioning <laughs> and switch it over to heat. That that'll that's what's gonna happen. Fair. All right. Um. Well, that would be some bad luck. I guess, and that is kind of what today's Promote Extend trade is about. Um, on this date in 1911, the RMS Olympic collided with a British warship, and the Olympic was one of three Olympic-class ocean liners, along with the Britannic and the Titanic. And obviously, uh, the Titanic sunk, and so did the Britannic, and the Olympic almost sunk in this incident. So, uh, not, uh, not that's basically... One for three, which is not good odds for the mm. White Star Line. And believe it or not, there were two people that were on all three ships during their respective ordeals. There was a, a stewardess uh, named Violet Jessup, and there was a fire stoker named uh, Arthur John Priest. So they survived. They, they survived, and they're lucky. But obviously, a lot of people had much worse luck because they did not survive. You really think after the first two ships sank, they'd sit there and think to themselves, man, maybe I should get a new job. Well, yeah. The, the craziest this, part – This whole boat thing isn't working out so well. The craziest part is that the, the fire stoker, Priest, he was actually on like two other boats that were not from the White Star Line that also sunk. So this guy is like 0 for 5 basically. Yeah, just like get a new job. Who would I don't like those odds. Does he like have to turn in a resume with the list of <laughs> ships on it, and they're like sunk, sunk, almost sunk, sunk, sunk? Are we sure we want this guy in our ship? You imagine, I, like they're just kind of like, wait, all these sound familiar. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> and then they look and they're like, oh no, it's this guy again. He's back. Get him out of here immediately. <laughs> Dude definitely should have developed like a god complex though because nothing could take him down. Clearly. (laughs) Yeah, true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so anyway though, um, obviously though that, that guy especially and then the woman had some pretty bad luck. So of these baseball events, what would you rank in order of having the worst luck? Um, so first up there's Armando Galarraga losing his no hitter on a blown call with two outs in the ninth. Next day. That's pretty rough. Yep. There's, next is Bill Buckner letting that juggler get through his legs to blow with a clinching game, what should have been the clinching game of the World Series. Wait, I thought we said bad luck. Well, <laughs> from his point of view. <laughs> if you were the individual. <laughs> and lastly is Ray Caldwell getting hit by a bolt of lightning while pitching on the mound. Oh, this guy again. Yeah. It, it has to be him. No. Like, it's a bolt of lightning. No, he was fine. 
<laughs> I mean, he he did he did literally get back up and like finish the game twenty minutes later. So that's true. But but being hit by lightning, I'm sure, is really painful. I'm gonna go ahead and say it's not the best thing for you. No, yeah, it's not, not. Would not recommend as as a pseudo health professional. I would not recommend it. Although although like two weeks later, he threw a no hitter. So that's wild. Maybe it supercharged him. Look, look, here's my argument for why it's not that, right? Like, hold on, let me click Google in here. How many people get hit by lightning each year? Uh, about 240,000 people per year uh, get hit by lightning somehow. There have been 23 perfect games, and Galarraga lost his because of that blown call. I'm saying it's Galarraga as the, I guess that's our, that would be my extend because I think that's the unluckiest. He also did it at an unlucky time because if you, if if he does it tomorrow, then it's just replayed. Yeah. And and it's overturned and he has the perfect game because it's clearly. That's true. Yeah. Oh, it was such a bad, it was such a bad call. So bad. Yeah, pretty terrible. But I'll counter that by saying anytime you take the mound, you could theoretically throw a no-hitter. Whereas getting to the World Series is a much harder thing to do. And then winning or getting to the point where you're about to win the World Series is basically the pinnacle of things. See, but I, I would say that's not luck, like what happened with Buckner. He just made an error. Well, I mean, there's... there's an argument to be made that I mean, if you if you want to take the idea that when you're a fielder of a certain skill, there is a certain probability you make an error okay, on yeah, any true. given play, and that it just happened to be that one. That's fair. That's fair. And Bill Buckner was like a pretty solid fielder. He'll never be remembered as such, uh, no, <laughs> because but like he that play could have just as easily happened in the third inning, and everyone looks at you like what. What yep. what Bill Buckner error? I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna order them uh Galarraga, Lightning Dude, and then Buckner. I think I would switch Lightning Dude and, and Buckner. Gal- yeah. Okay, and Galarraga? Okay. I'm on the think, I think like the chances of getting hit by lightning while playing baseball <laughs> pretty low. Is so small, like because they would just can't. Well, I mean, it's impossible now. They would cancel the game, like they would. Yeah. On it. Because they don't want, uh, like, Chris Sale getting like, hit by lightning slider, and he gets like zapped. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like that, could you imagine? You're watching the Mets, and like, they're about they're to turn and at least, and <laughs> so, Mets. That's the most Mets thing I've ever heard. So, but yeah. That's why I think I would rank it ahead, just because you're playing baseball in a in bad enough weather where that's happening, and then you happen to be one of the people who get hit. That is pretty unlucky. I feel like I have to rank that last, though, because, again, he, he got back up and he, he won the game. So That's the craziest part of that story, <laughs> right? Like, eh, walk it off. You'll be fine. Like, that, that to me, mitigates... A lot of of that bad luck because in the end he he did set out what he was trying to accomplish. I just want him imagine him throwing like 120 for like two innings. <laughs> <after>. Like <laughs> no, it was like, yeah. 
It was literally in the ninth inning. He just needed one more out. He throws like a 200 mile per hour fastball. <laughs> <laughs> like sparks. It's like, uh, there's gotta be a backyard baseball power up that like makes the ball electric or something. He basically gets that. He yeah, gets a, he gets a foul tip and the guy's bat just explodes. You know, I'm gonna go back to the dugout. You know, you can have it. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing this. But yeah, I mean, and also physical, the physical pain of getting hit by a lightning bolt is temporary. Um, the emotional See, pain. I, is... Exactly, Steve. I'm on the same page. <laughs> pain is temporary. <laughs> the glory of having a perfect game or a World Series win is, is forever. Buckner, yeah, he had to live with that for like, I, I don't want to, I, I don't know enough to say that it like ruined his life, but I know he did going, go from, being considered like you know a solidly average slash above average player to being remembered only for that one play, and yeah, that definitely definitely had to suck. And it's wild because he was old, like yeah, like it was the very end of his career, and it yeah, defined they, they, his career. Like, they basically put him in so that he could be on on the or they left him in whatever it was so that he could be on the mound to sell on, on the field to celebrate Can in like deference. That? Yeah, oof. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just rough. Super super brutal. Yep. Let's go Mets though. Yeah, definitely. Let's go Mets. <laughs> All right. Uh, go over to Asia now, and the Unilions went four and one this week, so they're twenty one seventeen and one, which is still in first place. Uh, two games ahead of the Fubon Guardians, and three games ahead of the Brothers Elephants. And the racket in Lions, so it's still a bit crowded in the second half. Uh, hitter of the week is someone new, Yuli Lin. He is the Lions' primary catcher. He appeared in four games this week, and he went 5-13 for 13 with two doubles, a homer, a walk, and a strikeout. How's this defense? Can we get him on the Mets? We need a uh, catcher. Uh, Lin is a member of the Taiwanese Bur- uh, Bunun people. And he was born in Kaixiang, which is a mountainous region in southern Taiwan. And he grew up playing baseball with his family, his two brothers, and his cousin. They were pretty solid high school and college players. And one of his other cousins is Su Wei Lin, who is the Red Sox prospect. Oh, okay. Yep. He uh, was around a lot of uh, good competition as a kid. He went to the National Taiwan Sports Institute for college. And basically, he realized that for most of his career, he was the big fish in Little Pond, and he found himself outclassed by basically all of his teammates in his competition while in college. Uh, he was a shortstop at the time, but uh, he just wasn't really hitting that well, and the other shortstops on the team were better defensive players than him. So the coach moved him to catcher just because, A, he had a strong arm, and B, they needed to do something with him. But he fit at the position pretty well, and he kind of got his mojo back. And in 2015, the Lions drafted him. He was their fourth-round pick. And he's been a career 258, 293, 356 hitter ever since. And this year, he's hitting 263, 312, 425, with a career-high seven homers. So he's not necessarily a defensive specialist, but the defense is better than the bat. Uh, he calls a pretty good game. He works with the pitchers uh, to get you know the most out of them. They like working with him. 
earlier in his career, he had some problems receiving the ball. You know, he was he he let a little too much stuff get past him, but he's improved in that regard. And basically, his best asset behind the plate is his arm. And you know, he's a shortstop, so it's a Must plus be nice. arm. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna get like a weird because it does seem like we're moving towards robot umps eventually. We're gonna get a weird swing toward back towards old school catcher defense evaluations all of a sudden, which is gonna be dude sit on a bucket back there when, right. <laughs> when there's no one on. <laughs> right, this is like this doesn't matter. Yeah. Yep, gonna catch is weird to begin with, as the saying goes, and that's not gonna make it any make them any less weird. Um, and our pitcher of the week, um, uh, repeat is Brock Dykeshorn again, and he went seven innings this week in his start. He allowed one run on five hits, he walked two, and he struck out five. That's good. So the LG Twins now, they went three and three, and that puts them at 62, 47, and three for the year, which is in third, three games behind the Dinos. And the hitter of the week is Hunsu Kim, multiple time Winner here. He went 10 for 23 with three doubles, a homer, 15 RBI, and two walks. 15 RBI in a week. Yeah, it's a, it's a good week. And pitcher of the week is Tyler Wilson. Again, many times he's won. He won, uh, excuse me, he pitched seven scoreless innings. He allowed six hits. He walked none and he struck out two. And early in the season, Wilson was actually pitching a lot better than Casey Kelly, who has, I think, won Pitcher of the Week seven times. Something like that. Yeah, but in the last couple of weeks, the trend's kind of reversed itself, and Kelly has been the best starter, and Wilson has kind of fallen off a bit. And now, finally, the Occult Swallows, and they went 3-3, three and three, so that leaves them at 29-42, and 42, which is a whopping 17 and a half games behind the Yomiuri Giants. Christ. You can make that up in a week. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so the hitter of the week is Munataka Murakami. He went nine for 19 with a double, a homer, and seven walks. Seven walks. Seven walks. Nimmo esque. Yeah, yeah he, for real. <laughs> he, he's currently hitting 335, 449, 568 with 13 homers. Did you say four? Is that good? <laughs> 449, yeah. Jesus. So, so I, mean, I don't. I have no like. I don't. I, I have not perused their stats enough to know if that's as insane as I think it is. Yeah, it sounds crazy. Well, we are seventy something games in to the season, so there's about a month left, and he's second in the league in batting average. He's first in OBP, fifth okay, so in yeah yeah fifth that's in rough. slugging, sixth in home runs, and first in OPS. All right, so Matt, bring him yeah. over. Yeah. Oh, please, he would fit. Um, but and Japan. He center field. Uh, third base, center field, whatever. Okay. I mean, the Mets don't have any problems putting third baseman in center, so <laughs> why not? <laughs> but the only two major leaguers with on-base percentages over 450 this season are Juan Soto and Freddie Freeman. Pretty good. Future uh, MVP Freddie Freeman. Mm. Not bad. Well, yeah, speaking of MVP, Japan is a lot more traditional in the sense of, you know, MVP voting is tied to win-loss record. Right. So, yeah, even though he's really destroying the ball and is really at the top of basically every single offensive stat, odds are that, you know, unless Murakami goes on 
such a tear in the next month that you just can't deny that he's the MVP, odds are he's not going to get much consideration. But as of right now, the numbers are there. So it sucks because at least he is a kind of bright spot on an otherwise really, really bad team. Yeah. And it's fun because last season, you know, last season he hit 36 home runs, but he batted by 225 and just generally kind of was not good at getting on base. And this year, obviously, that has been addressed. He's not hitting as much power, but if everything could click at the same time, I mean, that's kind of a monster. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that's like one of the best. How old is he, did you say? (laughs) He is 20. He's all right, so he's never – I mean, unless he gets posted, which I seriously doubt happens anytime soon. Like, it's going to be a long time before. Yeah. You should simply trade for him. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine having a functional system of player exchange between uh, Asian leagues, you know, and, and Major League Baseball. No, we don't it's, have it, that. It's not like other sports do that. That never yeah. happens in, like, it's I don't ridiculous. know. Ridiculous. <laughs> Ludacris That's asking true. baseball to do something competently. That would actually be really cool, like it having like like a real ability to transfer players. Absolutely. That's the, only, that's the only way I know how to word it. Because I, I maintain, I think the transfer system works better than any other like player movement system in the world. For sure, because there's there's a clear reason why you'd be able to you could be able to lose a player who's really good and also help your own team, like. Right. Like you have a hundred million pounds because we're talking. Obviously, we're talking soccer here. You'd have a hundred million pound player, but you're a smaller team than. <laughs> that is one fantastic. Uh, I would. I, I really want to make some jokes based yeah, on, yeah, yeah. on that sentence. <laughs> but like, um, it just you're able to f- use that money to fund the rest of the team because that's what the smaller teams have to do when they get like a star. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like a posting system on steroids. Basically. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Well, the problem, I guess, with that in in terms of a baseball context is that in Japan, anyway, and I'm sure also in Korea, and then I guess to an even lesser degree, the CPBL in Taiwan, the teams, the baseball teams are kind of just like PR apparatuses for the bigger corporations that own them. So money is not really that much of an issue for them if that makes sense yeah yeah i mean if like the lg twins if you know lg is making a lot of money if they wanted to just buy anything and everyone they could but they don't because it's just not worth it i mean the marketing works if i ever see a nippon ham product anywhere i'm buying it oh hell yeah oh yeah i've never seen a nippon ham product in the wild though (laughs) It's so interesting. It's so different. Yeah. Than than what I'm than what we're used to here. Yes, yes. The only mm-hmm. because the thing we need to do to make Major League Baseball better for the fans, it's like <laughs> corporations run the team instead of normal rich people. Yes, mm-hmm. that will work. The City Bank Mets. Great. <laughs> Live from Deutsche Bank deal. Mets. <laughs> well, to considerable less fanfare as compared to Monotaka Murakami, is Pitcher of the Week, Hiratoshi Takanashi. Uh, he pitched five scoreless innings this week, allowing three hits, walking four, and striking out four. And it's the third time that Takanashi's been Pitcher of the Week, definitely the worst outing as Pitcher of the Week that he's had. 
Uh, he's the former Rookie of the Year, who's been thoroughly unremarkable in his career since winning the award back in 2016. Hmm. That's very so, Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The the, the uh, Chris Coughlin of that's exactly Japan. who I was thinking of. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Now back to the Mets. We have some roster news, and the Mets have officially completed two of the trades that they've made this year, much to our dismay. Um, they traded a player to be named later in exchange for Ariel Gerardo, and that trade is now complete as the Mets sent Stephen Valines to Texas. So, oh, no. Lucas, are you doing okay? Yeah, yeah how are you? Annoyed. Lucas? You doing okay, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> our, as our one listener knows, we were fans of Valines, especially poor Lucas. Yeah. Um, Look, look, from an objective standpoint, I know that the Lions is probably bad, and trading him doesn't actually matter, uh, and I still am annoyed that they would trade him for someone as with, with so little utility as Ariel Horado. Like, mm-hmm. why? Yep. Why? It, it's also just another, we see how little upper minors depth they have at relief, or, at relief pitcher, and that's another one who's gone. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's it, they also have no upper minor starting depth, right? Yeah. So they probably <laughs> traded a badish reliever for a definitely bad starter. Yeah. I um, have marginally more faith in the lines to somehow become a competent middle reliever than I have in Harado to be anything useful, but that might be wrong. I, I would don't say know. the new rule, the, the new rules probably hurt the lines a ton. Yes. Like. Yeah. He just can't be a strict loogie, and that's going to hurt him, and Rookie. that sucks for him. Like, it's just bad timing for him, really, that this happens to come into the league when he got pretty close to the majors in terms of age and where he was in the system. That, like, you can't just really – you really can't put him on the roster as, like, a loogie that just doesn't exist anymore. And that's where I thought I, – I always thought that's where he would end up. Bankrupt like, doesn't have splits. He might have been a Rugi just because of his weird ass delivery. But. Really interesting. Because I, I would think the weird delivery would be tougher on lefties. As a right hand pitcher. Oh, no, you he's, think? he's righty. That's right. I forgot he was. <laughs> I thought he was. I was thinking of him if as a lefty. If he was a lefty, I, I think he, he'd probably be like yeah. on the team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He gives me such lefty energy. Yeah. <laughs> he's like as lefty you can be without being an actual lefty. Jeez, this is blowing my whole mind. Like, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where like I haven't seen him in a bit, so like I kind of forgot what he what he was about. Yeah. Like I and then I just assume oh, damn, that's crazy. That's funny. Like yeah, I so. said, from an objective standpoint, I, it's it's fine. I'm more just annoyed that they never gave him a chance, given how crap the bullpen has been for yeah. years. Just like it's the same issue we've talked about in the past, where they don't cycle guys at the back. They stick with the suck they know instead of trying to see if there's some different thing that might suck less. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lions, he was drafted 10th round in 2017 out of the University of Kansas, and he had silly good numbers that year with Brooklyn and Kingsport. He was bumped up to Columbia, St. Lucie, and Binghamton in 2018, kind of was up and down. Mm. And then last year, he was with Bingo in Syracuse, and he was really good in Bingo, and then not good in Syracuse. And we ranked him Mets 23rd best prospect in 2018. Uh, 17th best prospect in 2019, and then he was unranked uh, by our collective in 2020. And yeah, his his success came from his uh, unconventionality with a vaguely 
Pat Neshecki kind yeah. of mechanics. Yeah. Um, he threw lower than sidearm, but higher than submarine. So, you know, somewhere in that vicinity. Fun to uh, watch, though. Fastball's well below average. It was like mid-80s or so, but it got a lot of run because of the arm slot. And then slider and the changeup, at best, they were kind of average-ish. But again, because of the movement and then just being hard to pick up on because of the arm slot they were coming in from, they got augmented. And yeah, I don't know if the Mets, you know, I don't know if the Mets lost this trade. It's hard to tell because the lines is... Profile is one that traditional scouting norms say he should get lit up, but by and large, he really hasn't. Um, yeah, he was solid in 45 innings in Binghamton, and then he struggled in 15 innings in Syracuse. So what do you give more weight to? The larger sample size in Binghamton where he's kind of facing okay to very good batters, or do you give more weight to the smaller sample size in Syracuse where it's kind of quad A players in that offense supercharged environment with that ball. So I, I don't know. It's hard to judge him off like what'd you say it was fifteen? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. so little. But as a reliever, the fifteen yeah, that is that's you know true. I mean objectively from an objective standpoint, this is a push Maybe even a slight win for the Mets because starter versus reliever, but I, I'm just annoyed we never got to see him. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like not who's going to be good as opposed to who's going to be less bad, more yeah, likely. Yeah, basically. But that ends the chapter of uh, 2020. It is the end of the Valines Club. Bro, I forgot that he had like a 29 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio in low A in 2017 after he got drafted. Oh, it was like, I don't belong in this numbers. league. Get me out of here. Could you imagine, like, you're just some low A kid and you're like, oh, I gotta face this out of the bullpen. <laughs> right. <What? laughs> you, waste, you waste him in twenty. You waste twenty innings of his time in single in low A after he's drafted. You waste another thirty three innings of his time when he's doing the same thing in normal A, basically. Like, yeah, yeah. This is the shit the Mets does that drives what? us up the wall. Wasn't he a little older too? Yeah, like, like he was old. Now. He was like old for that age. For that yeah. age, he was old for that level anyway. Because I remember that. I remember him being like, I felt like he could have been a dude who rose really fast because of his age. And then they were just like, no, we're just going to act like he's 19. And <laughs> it was so weird the way they handled him. I guess like it was, it was like, we're going to act like he's 19 and he's struggling here. And we need to, yeah. it's, I am destroying these kids. Yeah. Like promote me. <laughs> he was, he was clearly ready to be off. Like he should have been in double high. A in 2018. Yeah. For sure, for sure. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And, and then he got there eventually, happened. but he should have been there to start. It's annoying. Um, I'm, and, it's... and then you could fast track that stuff, and maybe he's good in Double A right away, and then you were he's in Triple A, and he's maybe on a roster like two years. You know what I mean? Like, just relievers, you got to move them quick because there's you could just figure it out really fast usually. Yep, get that lightning in the bottle. Yep, right, Chapman. Yep. <laughs> All right, and then the Mets also completed their trade for Miguel Gonzalez um, from the Orioles. Miguel Castro. They, Miguel Castro. Oh. Miguel traded Castro. Gonzalez and got yeah. Miguel, oh, yes, got Miguel yes, Castro. Yes. 
Uh, they sent Victor Gonzalez, a shortstop, to Baltimore. This and, one annoys me more. Uh, really? At first, yeah. it's just I'm annoyed well, when they're young, and like when you trade someone really young and someone who's like, I'd rather trade the the older prospect and keep the younger prospect. In I'd my... rather trade the guy I don't. Uh, I'd trade the guy I know who he is versus trading the guy who's you can tell a lottery who this ticket. guy is because I sure as hell yeah, had great no point. idea when I saw the tweet. Yes, that's true. Right when I saw when I saw who was, I was like. I have no clue who this guy is, and I like do this for a li- well, not a, not a living. Um, like I, I do the, a lot of time doing this kind of stuff. We are I, in the top percentile of baseball fans in terms of prospect right, knowledge. It, it, I think that's safe to say. Yes, uh, but I was just like, who the hell is this? And I was like, oh, whatever, some faceless kid in a DSL. And then I sat down to start writing my my script here, and I was like, oh, damn, okay, because it's a little more complicated than that. Um. He would have been a DSL kid if there was a DSL this year. So that part would have been right. But he wasn't some nameless kid. Um, Met signed him out of the Dominican Republic last year for $250,000. As we know, the correlation between money and baseball impact is much less direct than it is in the draft. Um, But obviously, the more a team or or the baseball establishment in general values a player, the more money they're going to get unless they fall through the cracks. So Gonzalez was valued enough by the Mets to get a, a quarter of a million dollars. Um, right now, his defensive tools are more developed than his bat. He's kind of a, a quick twitch middle infielder. He's got a quick first step, above average range, above average arm, pretty solid looking shortstop. At the plate, he looks all right. Um, I have a lot more trouble deciphering hitting mechanics than pitching mechanics. And obviously, there's just like one or two videos of him hitting, so there's a lot less to go on. But the only thing I could really get is that he looks like someone who's trying to swing a big stick that doesn't really have one. He's <laughs> probably more of like a line drive guy, kind of a contact hitter guy. Um, but he, he kind of, I'm not going to say he flails, but he swings like a guy that's a lot bigger than he is. And... You know, he's five foot eleven, 155 pounds. So maybe if he embraces a kind of uh, contact-oriented line drive approach, he would have more, or or he will have, I should say, since he hasn't actually appeared in any organized games yet. But you know, if he embraces something like that, then maybe the bat will come along more than other evaluators think it will. Yeah, but you know. As it is right now, most think that he's kind of a defense-first shortstop with the potential to maybe grow uh, grow some power. Isn't exactly uh, an Aroldo Catalina situation because the upside and the tools with Catalina were much more apparent than they are with Gonzalez right now. Yeah, for but, sure. But, you know... Uh, I, I'm not going to lose any sleep over this since he's so far away and there is some work to do. But at the same time, like you were saying earlier, Thomas, like any time the Mets make a trade with someone this low in the totem pole, I just instinctively get nervous because I'm just used to, to the Mets getting fleeced, you know? No, yeah. Like, I think it's fair to say the likelihood that the Mets have more information on this kid than the team they're trading him to Um is not as good as I'd like. <laughs> it's not as good as it should be, given that he's in their system. <laughs> the, the, right, right. 
And isn't the Orioles like? Didn't they hire kind of smarter-ish people? They they hired the like, some of the original Astros guys. Yeah, that's what I thought. Which is to me a little bit concerning because the Astros have, like had a they had a good system, obviously. Like, and they knew exactly that the Mets are a bunch of marks that they could flee. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. I mean, what I I think it's. I think it's both fair to say that this is more than the Orioles should have been able to get for Castro. And also that I don't think, like, uh, I don't have a problem with it. Right? Like, I mean, I'm, chances are in three years he won't ever hit, and I'll forget this entire podcast. But I'm, like, Odds are tomorrow I'm going to forget his name. <laughs> exactly. But, like, it's the principle of the thing for me. It's the It's the organizational philosophy that – hopefully is gone when the team is sold that like these dudes are just so low on the totem pole in the prospect system that they don't really know who they are. And they're like, yeah, whatever you ask for him. Okay. Like that's how you trade away a really good player for nothing by accident. You know, right. like, so, I mean, the big, Fernando the big, Tatis was one yeah. exactly. at one point. Exactly. Oops. I mean, to me, it's, it's, <laughs> big oops. It, it, he's, I, I a have I mean people are the immediate comparison people are making because Mets is it's thinking of Wilmer Font right and but this is very different to me because Wilmer Font is not good and not a long term piece which Castro might be good and should be here for a couple of years and two they traded a light hitting middle infielder not a like if this was if they were trading a random pitcher that was lower down I'd have more of a problem with it that's fair because I think you need. Uh, to me, the pitching is a numbers game, right? So the lower level pitching prospects mean more to me than lo- counterintuitively, almost, if that makes sense. But yes, because you need so many more of them in order to for the lottery to work out in your favor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like they don't have shortstop depth. Yeah, I mean, if there's one spot this organization has depth at, it is shortstop somehow. <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, with ball trades, really, it's just like, uh, I just, it, it's like more of a, who is going to do worse than either team really got taken advantage of the other. I think, for the most part, it's equal value for now, but, I mean, a lot of that is dependent on, you know, four or five years from now where Gonzalez is. But four or five years from now, the Mets will be, you know, the biggest spenders in baseball, and they'll have <laughs> a competent front office and extensive analytics and scouting department, and we don't need to worry about it, right? One so, can dream. The trend with the Mets over the last couple of years, let's say five years or so, you know, with an exception here and there, is basically that the Mets have, you know, always been the bride made, but never the bride. They've not been good enough to, you know, have an actual good team with real playoff chances with the extent, with the exception of like 2015, you know, arguably 2016, if if you buy into that whole one game playoff with the uh, wild card thing, which I'm not a fan of, so I kind of discount that, but never good enough to like be a legit team and then never bad enough to legitimately tank and rebuild. So... With the exception of the 2018 draft, and then they traded that guy, <laughs> their first pick has always been in that solid but flawed tiered of back half first round guys. Mm. 2015, they didn't even have a pick because of uh, Michael Kadire. 2016, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they did that. 
yeah, uh, not great. 2016, they picked at 19 and then at 31. So they got Anthony, uh, Justin Dunn and Anthony Kay. And both of them, A, have been traded and B, have not really been all that impressive in their brief minor league, uh, major league careers so far. So whatever. Um, 2017, they picked at 20 and they got David Peterson. So far, he's looking fine and exactly what you would want out of a pitcher like him, which is kind of a, a back-end guy who's... But you wanted to get there a year faster than it did. Yeah. Uh, in 2018, as mentioned, they got Jerry Kalenic and they traded him with sixth pick. And 2019, they picked at number 12, they got Brett Beatty. And then this year, they picked at 19, and they got Pete Crow Armstrong. So the Mets are currently... 24 and 28 as we record right now, and they are playing. Uh, Losing. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> there's eight games left, and they get so they're gonna end the season anywhere between 32 and 28 if they win all the eight games that they have left, or 24 and 36 if they lose all of them. Obviously, there's a lot of variance because we're dealing with 29 other teams. But the Mets most likely would end the season somewhere around 20th out of 30 MLB teams, assuming nobody goes on like a crazy winning streak or losing streak, you know, between 25, 20, yeah, between 15 and 20. Mm. So that would mean that the Mets would pick around, you know, 10 to 15 or so in the 2021 draft. Uh, a team that picks, you know, around 10, the no doubt guys, like one to six, they're gone. Um, but, Guys with elite potential and minimal warts are still there. So for comparison, last year, we'll just look at the 10th picks. The Angels got Reed Detmers. Um, in 2019, the Giants picked Hunter Bishop. In 2018, with the 10th pick, the Pirates got Travis Waggerty. Um Obviously, that year, the Mets picked before them and got the better player. But point is that <laughs> all of those guys are really good players and arguably... All three would be like the Mets' top prospect in this system. Even Swaggerty, who doesn't really have the loud, loud tools and did struggle a bit. But Detmers, I think, would definitely be the Mets' top prospect. And Bishop would definitely be the Mets' top prospect. Mm, yeah. So sure. picking picking around 10, you know, really a good place to pick. So a couple of days ago, Jonathan Mayo from MLB.com, he was talking about the 2021 draft. And him and Jim Callis, they don't know any more than we do about what's going to happen in 2021 because there have been no actual decisions. But they have inside sources, and they expect the 2021 draft to be some kind of hybrid between 2019 records and 2020 records. How exactly the two seasons will be weighted and combined is anyone's guess. Um, one method is that just add the, the totals together and then just kind of get a new order um another method you could just kind of average the two with 2019 and 2020 weighted equally and get a new order but either way because the mets went 86 and 76 last year they're gonna get screwed um it's so stupid yeah that's how, very, i do not like that not no. just because it affects the mets i just think that's a stupid idea yeah it's it's just you know not good. Um, who knows how the Mets are going to do? I guess the mood of our show next week will reflect what the Mets do. <laughs> but 
even if the Mets lose every single game that they play from now until next week, they're still going to have their first pick bumped up because of that record that they had in 2019. And they're going to get bumped up from being in that potential above average player range to going back to that good with warts range. Mm. And, you know, 2020 is weird because of a, a million factors. But factoring the 2019 season, it's just not fair. Like, you know, I mean, not that fairness matters. That's not the right word for it, I guess. But, yeah, the, the results for 2019 were already um, manifested or, or whatever the word in the 2020 draft. And the book should be closed. And why are we going back to that? Well, and it should just be done over. Yeah. And, of course, the Mets get screwed. Well, yeah. <laughs> the Mets, the find a way. It's like life in Jurassic Park, but worse somehow. But, uh, I mean, do you see the need to have to employ some sort of hybrid strategy for the 2021 draft next year? Uh, I don't. I think. I, don't I, I think if you were going to have a season, like, it, you know... If it's not legitimate, why are you playing the games? If you're admitting right. that it's it's illegitimate to some degree, where you want to mitigate, you know, its effect on the draft, then then why? <laughs> like exactly. I mean, we all know why, but still. Yep. Money, money, money. Yeah, it's it's pretty dumb. Uh, I mean, wait, do we do T? I'm I'm. Totally blanking on how the new compensation rules work. Do you still no? You don't forfeit your first round pick anymore. You forfeit like second to fifth round picks based on who you sign. Correct? Someone. It's I think so. Yeah, it's not so, your first anymore. Yeah. I yeah. think it's usually a second or a third. Right. Okay. So I was gonna I was gonna say, well, maybe if Cohen comes in and just spends like a, a drunken sailor, we don't <laughs> care anymore. But we'd still have a first round pick, and it's gonna get screwed up because of this dumb idea. They're just going to do the thing again where they, like, make three – the entire draft around three picks again, so it doesn't even matter. I mean, hey, <laughs> uh, of the things the Mets have done, that's probably – since uh, Brody took over, it's probably my favorite thing. So keep doing it. I've read somewhere – I mean, again, nothing is for certain because they literally, like, all of the agreements are up in a couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. it could just kind of do whatever. But I was reading somewhere that they're probably going to limit – the draft to 20 rounds, which is reasonable, fair, whatever word. See, that that I have it. much less of a problem with in a year where there's been no organized baseball. Like, how are you going to – it's going to be a lot harder to scout for 40 rounds with – Yeah, I mean, it's kind of almost impossible. It's probably going to be a pain to scout for 20. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I mean, I was thinking about how you could like, – like Ken was saying, if you don't – believe the 2020 season the 60 games to be legitimate then why are we even here doing this to begin with so the entire concept of having to do something to address the shortened weird season in next year's draft i don't agree with to begin with but if you're going to do something then have a special secondary round or something where you do this like something like i don't know it's doesn't make not, sense. No, I mean, obviously my beliefs and what I want to see and whatever are very different from 
corporate offices of the Mets or other MLB teams and the corporate offices of MLB itself. And as we said, at the end of the day, they're looking after themselves and saying to themselves, what can we do to not have to spend the most money? And this kind of arrangement does help limit the amount of money that teams will have to spend because, you know, the Mets will be going from 10 to 10 to, you know, 16 or, or whatever, if you combine the two records. So they'd be going from having a first round pick that costs like 4 million to going to having a first round pick that's like, you know, two and a half, three, whatever. Mm. So, I mean, they're, they're, it's just a way for them to prevent unexpected costs, but it just as again, here we everything goes back to a money and B as fans, how is this increasing our enjoyment of the sport and baseball and the minutiae that we follow? It's very annoying. Very. Baseball also always like whenever they make new thing have new ideas and make new rules, whatever, I always feel like they go three steps past something reasonable and it's ridiculous. Like you can make the argument that the games are really long and pace of play is an issue, but the way that they combat it is like, just don't do it like that. Like combat it in a different way. And if you want to do this, then exactly like you said, they're, they do it in a special round, do it late. Like they're just, they just galaxy brain everything they do. <laughs> <laughs> like it's so weird. Like it, I, I feel like there's all these obvious answers. Like, just install a pitch clock and make pitchers work faster. Pace of play could be cut out by that, but they're like, no, eight batter minimums and all that. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. like, it's just like, why, why do you have to take like four extra steps when you could just take one and and that'll work? Like it's ev- almost everything they do. I feel like they try to like go above and beyond, and then it makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, that that's pretty accurate. But yeah, it's just I don't know. Of course, this could all be just vetching over nothing because they could say too much now. Oh yeah, now we're just going to do things normally, which would be cool and yeah. the false alarm. But yeah, if, I mean, uh, you know, if there's yeah. smoke, there's fire. Yeah, yeah. And those two guys aren't always the best informed. They're not like uh, boob nightingale level of wrong, but <laughs> sometimes they say things that are stupid. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah, and even if they are right right now, mm-hmm. what is right can be changed. Also very true. You know, in a week, but yeah, not a fan of this possibility. Yeah, I don't like it either. I hope it's not what happens. Of course, the Mets are far out of um, Kumar Rocker or Jack Leiter range, so in the end, it doesn't really matter, I guess. Simply trade up. <laughs> And I have no clue what the draft class for 2021 oh, looks yeah. like because That's it's gonna be way, interesting. way too early to even bother looking. I know there's, you know, every so often you'll see lists, you know, at the top college prospects, top high school mm-hmm. prospects, but I mean, college a little less so, but pretty worthless at this point because yeah, absolutely, literally ten months away, so and a lot could change in ten months. All right. Uh, does anyone have any final words for the week? 
Let's get this season over with. <laughs> I don't even want them to go to the playoffs. Just let it stop. You don't think Wait. they can make a run? <laughs> no. <laughs> you heard it here first. I mean, what are they, two games out, a game and a half out? The fact that this it's team something. is two They're games really out should tell you all you need to know about how bad expanded playoffs would be for baseball. Oh, isn't that sticking yeah. around? Yes. And the yes. playoffs? Uh, Not a fan. That's I, I a whole like other podcast we could yell about. That's baseball, bad. I feel like, had the best playoff system out of all of the Yeah, hard to agree. Because sure. basketball, it seems like everybody gets in. Hockey, it seems like everybody gets in. And then the best of seven series is so many times. It 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 just like feels like it's never stopping. But the first round of basketball is straight up practice for the good teams. Yeah, basketball has the real fundamental problem of uh, the game being totally different in the playoffs, like yeah. completely different in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, the game certainly changes in baseball, but not to the same extent. Well, the Mets, if the Mets get into the playoffs somehow, I'm sure they'll be serving practice for the Dodgers or whoever <laughs> it is that they play. So mm, True. And DeGrom can't pitch every single game. He can barely pitch right now, apparently, so not good. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Forsillo, Game 7 starter. Hey, he struck out 10 today. Oh, the Mets okay. Did he really? Yeah, yes. he's up to 10 strikeouts. A day after sure. Peterson struck out 10? Yeah. Wild. Wild times we're living in, guys. Everything is coming up Millhouse. The three aces. <laughs> that's me, that's wild. <laughs> well, he is a uh, former Cy Young winner, after oh, all. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fact, yes. On that on uh On that note, if anyone has any questions or comments and we don't want to hear any Rick Porcello Cy Young Award winner comments. <laughs> You could send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMetSeasonSZN. Uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review it. And, of course, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. <laughs>